what's really happened is that black athletes have regained even more power now. And they found their way again, where now black athletes are saying, I'm going to get money regardless. And so now you're going be- yeah. to hear and feel what I believe. Welcome to Black Tea. My name is Milena Williams. I'm Andre Demias. If you're new to the show, thank you for tuning in. This show is the one where we have the difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations in Canada's black communities. And the way the show works is we talk about what made us happy this week. Then we talk about a topic of importance. And then we spill some tea at the end. But before we get to all the juicy stuff, let's talk about what made us happy this week. Andre? Okay, so it's actually not going to sound like something that's very happy this week, but it made me happy. I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. So first of all, I saw a story, I think it was in the Washington Post, that uh, there was a FedEx driver. His name was Timothy Warren. Mm-hmm. And he was driving his truck through Portland, Oregon. And he was going through a neighborhood um, when all of a sudden some white dude comes out of his house and starts screaming at him he's going too fast. So the FedEx driver, Timothy Warren, stops his truck and he's, tri- he's tired. Like he's, he's had a full day of delivery. He tries to explain to this white guy, Warren's black himself, that, you know, he just wants to get done with his work. And the dude starts like screaming some racial slurs at him and then takes a swing on him. And what happens? Uh, Warren swung back, mm-hmm. tagged him on his forehead and not only knocked him out, but killed him. Yeah. On the punch. Uh, this is a great thing that makes you is, happy. Thank you is, so much. No, it makes me happy. That no, first, I know, I know, I know. The prosecutors <laughs> declined to charge him, but it right. makes me happy because it's an object lesson and don't start none, won't yeah. be none. Hood rules apply. Second story, again, again, the theme here is don't start none, won't be none. A missionary, his name was John Allen Chow, <laughs> hops on a boat, gets a friend to take him to this island called Sentinel Island, which is like in the Bay of Bengal, like... Yeah, off the Indian coast between India and Burma. And there's a tribe there, the Sentinelese people. Mm-hmm. And they were like decimated by contact with, with British people. You know, so there were thousands of people living on this island and then British people show up and now it's only a few dozen. Wonder why. So he goes there and what do they do? They fill him up with arrows. They lit his ass <laughs> up. Don't start none, won't be none. Some of y'all really have to understand, drink your water, mind your own damn business, nothing to happen to you. This yeah. FedEx driver's driving through the neighborhood. Somebody stops him, tries to f*** with him, couldn't mind his own business. What happens? The dude lick out him, Ross. <laughs> the man dies, okay? Mind your Yo, business. People were going in on Twitter. This, and dude, just, yeah. this dude goes to the <laughs> island. What do they do? They lit his ass up, filled him with arrows. And in case anybody's listening to this and you feel upset about it, oh, Andre, this is a missionary and you're a Christian. Why a would missionary? you say something like that? Well, why would you say something like that? You're a Christian too. <laughs> well, guess what? If this dude had brought some sort of disease that he had time to build up an immunity to over to this island and kills off the remainder of the people on the island, how would you feel then? Just to bring it back to Christianity, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite media personalities who hosts the Friend Zone, his name is Dustin Ross, um, and he has pinned to his Twitter profile a really important actual verse. Mm-hmm. Don't start no <laughs> it won't be no <laughs> Proverbs twenty six seventeen. So Thank shout out much. to Dustin. Shout out to Dustin. Shout out to people who mind their business. What made you happy this week, Mel? Well, I can't start with talking about a man because... I mean, there's two things. A man's obviously one of them. Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine said that she listens to the podcast and that my dating life seems really exciting when she knows that it's not. <laughs> I just wanted people to feel sorry for me. Yeah. So, like, I will it's never, not exciting. I will never feel sorry for you. You should. Okay. So, we're going to start with the fact that, obviously, Lion King's getting remade, which is going to be incredible. The trailer came out. And we can't forget that Aladdin is also being remade because the legendary mm-hmm. Will Smith 
is playing what the genie. Yeah. Um, but you know, there was a tweet that that really brought it spoke to my heart about Aladdin specifically. Just things that, you know, I understood as a child and I understand now. So not Damar tweeted. Aladdin said he could show Jasmine the world and that was poor. <laughs> Listen, I knew. I was like eight. You break into my castle. Like what? I'm good. You broke in. And then OMG, the fabulous OMG said, and she fell for it. That's why you got to ask to show you something up front. Listen, this is really important. I've always been about Jafar. He had the receipts. When he did that remix to Prince Ali and he said, yep. not who he see, like that was, mm-hmm. that was a banger. Yeah. I was on Tinder because I got really bored on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I like funny people. Like, I don't like people that are like, hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. Would you like to go for dinner with me? Like, I don't want to go for dinner. Okay. I don't. Anybody who's boring. That, you automatically have to assume. Leave a, me alone. There's a picture in their Tinder profile of them holding up a fish. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like a hundred normal women that would have dinner. Like, no, don't do that to me. So this guy was like, big D or big heart. <laughs> Okay. And I was like, this is dope. Like, big, big D. Big- <laughs> sure. Because people can change. And first of all, if you think you have a good heart, you probably don't. <laughs> anyway, it's going great. Where it comes to sports and athletes themselves, there are a lot of preconceptions that come with the territory. And this is based on tropes that mostly come from 80s movies because... We'll tend to think of athletes as being not so smart, being uninterested in what's going on in broader society, but that has never been the case for black athletes. So it's a bit jarring to hear when white pundits on television and radio, for example, tell outspoken black athletes like LeBron James to shut up and play. So here to walk us through the intersections between athletics and activism is Sportsnet host and writer Donovan Bennett. Donovan, thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. I don't want to walk us through it. I want to ask you guys the questions. <laughs> you guys are the experts. I'm normally interviewing people, so I want your perspectives. I feel like I'm being interviewed all of a sudden. <laughs> I know. This makes me feel great. Okay, so... Just flip the microphone back yeah, on us. I, you know more than me about this, so I just wanted to know if you could give us some background about the links between Black athletes and Black civil rights activism. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not something that started two years ago. I think it's around 24 months now when Colin Kaepernick took a knee and and actually before that sat Mm -hmm. throughout the national anthem. First of all, it's crazy that it's been going on for this long. We're still talking about it, even though Kaepernick is no longer in the league. Mm -hmm. But this is something that predates him, whether it's Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Olympics, Muhammad Ali risking his career and his freedom uh, standing and not wanting to be a part of a a war that he felt didn't really stand with what he believed in or what his religious beliefs were. Whether it's guys like Bill Russell or or James Brown or Jesse Owens, if we want to go even even farther back and how his excellence did his talking um, in the face of, uh, you know, the Nazi Germany regime. Black athletes have always stood for something, even if it was just being able to play. And and Jackie Robinson saying, well, I'm going to not only turn the other cheek when I'm called things, I'm also going to turn on a fastball and hit it out of the park. Black athletes have had to stand for something because it was the only voice that prominent black people had. Mm. This was before black music was Mm. widely consumed on mainstream uh, radio and and television. This is before someone like Oprah could come into your house literally every day. So that perspective 
had to come from somewhere and it had to come from black athletes because they had a platform. They had a microphone in front of them and they needed to use their power literally for good. So what's really happened is that black athletes have regained even more power now Mm -hmm. and they found their way again where there was a generation where the powers with the money that that some athletes could make and thus it made it a difficult decision whether or not they were going to speak up now black athletes are saying i'm going to get money regardless and so now you're going to be going to hear and feel what i believe so what what do you make of for example the laura ingrams of the world Mm -hmm. that uh talk about athletes being paid to to dribble a basketball you know, when they, when they say to athletes that they should shut up and play or keep the politics off the field. What do you make of that? I mean, it is hypocritical because she's not telling Bono to shut up and sing. Mm. It's easy for people like that to tell black athletes, stay in your lane, mind your business, when really this should be everyone's business. They're just bringing it to you so that you can no longer deny that it's, it's an issue. But there is a slave mentality when it comes to athletes yeah. and, and often I absolutely bl- black agree. athletes. I, it, think, I think the NCAA is one of the largest plantations that's being run in North America. There you go. And, and it's funny, LeBron James has a documentary. Shout about, out play, yeah. yeah. That one. He <laughs> also has one called Student Athlete about that very thing, about the fact that NCAA athletes don't have rights and they're making a lot of money off of their physical ability for white people. Sounds pretty similar to slavery. And so people have have a pushback to that because, wait a minute, these athletes are playing a game and they're making millions of dollars. And and slavery obviously is horrific and systemic. But the point is to show that these athletes are providing a good and a service, but they're not being valued as human beings. Mm -hmm. They're not being allowed to bring their authentic self to the workplace. They're just supposed to do their job, be happy that they have a job, and make someone else lots of money. Mm -hmm. Even though these athletes are millionaires, the guys who are employing them are billionaires. And even let's look at the term owner, right? right? The, the term uh, in the dynamic of Mark Cuban is an owner. Yeah. Jerry Jones is an owner. What are they owning? The, these the athletes. Yeah. And, and they also want to own the message that comes out from these athletes. And so that's why when people make the reference to slavery, that's what they're referencing. With the ownership, I, I want to know how you feel about, because a lot of people think that um, things can change if we have more black owners of teams. Um, I've heard things from like Diddy and LeBron and like people even think that about like we need a black police chief, which we obviously don't. Um, so how do you feel about that? Do you think you can change a, a broken system? Yeah, well, I mean, representation matters. Does certainly, it? I think it does. Mm-hmm. I think you need to have a voice in the room and a voice at the table. I don't think... But Adams, for the record, they will never let a black owner into the NFL ever. It's yeah. just it's not going to happen. What about the NBA? Well, well, we have Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jordan is a black owner, but there's a different dynamic there between the NBA and the NFL. I would mm-hmm. say that the NBA is probably the most progressive major sports league yep. besides the WNBA. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's progressive in the sense that players have a lot more power mm-hmm. within the NBA's contract system than with most other sports. The NFL, I think, is probably the most restrictive. So do you think that there'll ever be black ownership in the NFL that's substantial? Well, when, when Diddy and Steph Curry were trying to combine to, to own the Panthers, mm-hmm. thought it would have sent a good message. I thought right. it, would, it would have been smart. And if there was a black owner, I think you wouldn't have issues where the owner of the Texans, Bud Adams, is saying, well, we need to keep the inmates in the asylum. Right. right? You're, not, you're not saying that if there's a, a black person of consequence in the room. So certainly there's a difference, you're right, between NFL owners and NBA owners. And I think that 
that difference is important. When you look at the fact that NFL owners come from generational wealth, NBA owners are often entrepreneurs. They've made their wealth, whether it's from tech startups. Um, yeah, like Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer, yeah. um, Cuban, Vivek Ranadive. Um, these are guys who, who have been at every level of companies. They've interacted with people at every level of companies. So there's a level of humanity that is different from someone who is a trust fund baby. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just and we can't teach the trust fund babies diversity and equity. Well, well, some of them, because, you know, if, if we're going to call out the ones that are bad actors, in, in my opinion, we should give credence to the ones that aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Johnson family who runs the Jets said, if there are any fines for, for our team, uh, we're not going to pass that on to players. We're going to pay them. Mm-hmm. We feel our players should be able to speak their mind. Jed York, he abstained from the, from the last vote around having rules around the anthem. So the NFL tells you the vote was unanimous. Yeah, because Jed York abstained. And he said, listen, if we are going to ask our players to respect the anthem, then why are we selling concessions during the anthem? Right. Why are we selling merchandise? So not o- so as a club, we are no longer going to sell concessions during the anthem. But I also don't believe that we should be putting this pressure on our players. He's the owner of the 49ers, the exact place where Colin Kaepernick and then Eric Reed first took a stance and how this conversation started. So some of them certainly you can. I, I don't think we should necessarily paint with a with a broad brush, but it's a lot of old money. It's a lot of old boys club. Mm-hmm. And if we want to look at it, it's a lot of people who have given money to the Republican Party. Yeah. And who's the leader of that party right yeah. now? Donald J. Trump, who has made this very issue yeah. a, a talking point because it plays well to his base, yeah. feeds right into his nationalist ideas and right into all the same tropes that he's run with over the last couple of years about making America great again. When the real issue is America has never been great for the, the families and communities that these players are trying to represent. So what would happen if a black player protested during our Canadian national anthem? Would the results be different than the United States? It's interesting. I've thought I've thought a, a lot about that. And I actually, you know, after Kaepernick, when I went to university games, I saw some university players in Canada kneeling during the anthem. And, and I, I found Word? that. I never heard about that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a big story because it was yeah. university football in Canada. I know when I hear the anthem as a Canadian second generation or first generation immigrant, my association with it is different. I kind of get goosebumps watching my grandfather sing it at a sporting event because for me, it represents him coming to a new country with grade three education mm-hmm. in the hopes of his offspring being able to go to university, which is what happened with me. Okay. So for many black Canadians, that's the experience in the association. For many Americans, the experience is years and years of slavery. And, and although that's part of our history in Canada mm-hmm. as well. It's not as exclusive. Things are not perfect for black Canadians. Certainly, there isn't. But I, I think our we, we do have a, a love-hate relationship at times where in, in America, it's often just a, a hate relationship. I also think the branding of the way our politicians talk about our country. In Canada, most of the time, our politicians <laughs> yeah. talk about the border is open, want Canada being inclusive and diverse. As even long if, as they're not Doug Ford. Even though, yes, exactly. <laughs> even though it's not always the case, at least they talk about the ideal. Where in the United States, they talk about America being the best and yeah. people being lucky to be there. Shining light on the hill. And, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I think how the branding from the top down changes it. If a black player protested the anthem in Canada, I think there would be certainly a lot of pushback, but I don't think it would be to the same degree as it is in the United States. 
because I don't think we necessarily hold the flag as an embodiment of what the country is. To, to us, when we think about the country, we think of ideals and values. And, mm. and for Americans, when they think about the country, they think about their military first and foremost yeah. and what that flag means in their history. However, I think the conversation would be totally different if an indigenous person, if someone from the First Nations community decided to protest the anthem, then I think that changes the conversation. So what do you make of athletes like uh, P.K. Subban, for instance? He had some some difficulties in Montreal, and I think a lot of that had to do with the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gets straight to Nashville. Um, once he arrives in Nashville, I thought this was kind of presumptuous for, for Canadian sports uh, writers to ask him whether he was going to kneel. And his answer was, well, I would never kneel. You know, I, I can understand where that's coming from, but it's also like, bro, you know, read the room. Um, or somebody like Carl Malone, who is basically just one of those, you know, those pull your pants up ass old dudes. Um, while he's out here doing dirt and having like a bunch of children by a bunch of different mothers and doesn't claim responsibility for any of them, is then telling black youth to, you know, take responsibility for themselves and maybe these police will stop killing us. Like, how do you talk to people like that? Well, tell me how you really feel. You're <laughs> <laughs> uh, not leading the witness at all. No, I mean, with PK, there's one thing. He is, and his answers are, a direct correlation to the culture within the sport that he plays. Mm. And he certainly knows... A culture within the sport, like the Penguins, for example, who will go to the White House, you know, with Donald Trump's invitation. Exactly. But the Philadelphia Eagles won't because they know they shouldn't be there. Right, exactly. And so the culture of his sport is is extremely conservative. It's, it's, again, something that he's had to... It's also very white. ...deal with. It's white. It's a cross that he's, he's he's had to bear. I do feel like... PK knows how any other answer would be perceived in that sport. I also feel at times that there is a undue and unfair pressure on every black athlete to be extremely socially active in a way that is not the case for the other white athletes in the same locker room. But that's our identity. There's a lot of things that we have to do because we're black. Yeah, but if you don't have expertise or an interest... I, I think it's actually harmful for you to speak. Not that you should just play your position, mm-hmm. but I, I think if you are, feel called to speak on something, mm-hmm. then certainly you should. But if you don't, I, I don't feel like you should necessarily do it just because you're black. Because I think actually you, you would end up, if you're speaking uneducatedly, doing more harm than good. We don't necessarily ask white athletes in the same locker room, well, you got to speak on everything. We don't ask white people to do anything. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, well, going yeah, back to yeah. Laura Ingram, kinda, she, she, would kinda, never, she would never say to, no. a, to a white athlete, well, you're talking about diabetes or cancer. Yeah. Just shut up and But and if dribble, they did, they would be seen up. as the best diabetes and cancer activist in the world. That's what happens to allies when they speak on race. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I understand what you're saying, but a lot of the time with this whole expertise piece, that's true, but it's also we're all experts on our identity, aren't we? I could kind of understand where he's coming from. Because remember when Tiffany Haddish was asked, after she won her Emmy, she was asked about um, diversity yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, and she said, I don't know anything about that. I know what I'm being a joke. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, I can understand why she said that. Because a lot he of people He could have said like, that, though. He didn't. Yeah. Well, he didn't. He was like, I would right. never kneel. Exactly. I, yeah, That's I don't agree different. with, yeah, I don't agree totally with the tone different. of that. Because he didn't say, <laughs> I'm not an expert in this. So, you know, I'm not the one he to ask. He just didn't care. But I, he didn't say, I, he didn't say, and which is the difference between him and someone like Malone. He didn't say no one should ever kneel. Mm. He said I would never kneel, which I, which mm. I, I think he's yeah. within his rights to say. He, I mean, he's done lots of charitable things. He has a box where young youth interact with police. So that, if that's his expression and the way he feels comfortable um, helping, then 
I'm not walking in his shoes. I don't want to tell him what he should or shouldn't do. As far as Malone, his comments to me, it it kind of sounded like old school Cosby. Like <laughs> where Cosby yeah. was was lecturing young black youth. And then when you pull the curtain back, we're like, yo, dude, what have you been doing for yeah. the last 25 mm-hmm. years? And so I, shot over a piece of pound cake. Yeah. yeah, and what have you been up to, bro? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, Malone, who you mentioned, um, you know, his own personal story, plus, I mean, the fact that, you know, his his greatest moment as a Los Angeles Laker, or most known, was, you know, hitting on his teammate's wife uh, before the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that he's done that have n- not been a good look. So I don't really care to hear about him speak about anything, really, other than the pick and roll with John Stockton, to be quite <laughs> frankly. Word. <laughs> Okay, so um, you were also a college athlete mm-hmm. and spent one year in the States before you went to London, Ontario. And I just want to know about your experiences as a black college athlete. Did anything happen there that informed your career choices and how you study the intersections of sports and race? Yeah, well, I mean, in Canada anyways, my experience as a black college athlete was one, one of the only ones. Like, there just wasn't a lot. I, I mm. I actually am really happy to so see... So you should tell the audience what sport you play. Sorry, I played oh, play football in Canada in, in university. I went to Western. Yeah. And I, I, I'm happy to now look at the sidelines in the and, field. And Western, by the way, is just... I went to Windsor. Okay. You know, and uh, Western, to me, always came across as just one of the most racist institutions. Yeah, I got ran out of there. In Canada, racism. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I the, a- the, the, the campus culture there is incredibly anti-black. See, I had a good experience, but I also... I'm aware that I may have been sheltered the by the fact get, yeah. that I was a football player mm-hmm. and I had a built-in community on, mm-hmm. on, on the campus. But certainly, at the time, you would be looking at other teams and you could count the amount of black guys on each team and some teams there weren't any. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. There's no team now that doesn't have black mm-hmm. guys. There's no team that doesn't have a bunch of black guys. I mean, Laurier's whole football team looks like the University of Miami at this point. <laughs> but the real experiences I had and again, I was transferring from school in the United States in Buffalo, Canisius College, to Western. The real experience I had were outside of sports, racially, was just in London. And I, I remember first being in town and, you know, I would just do the, the obligatory, you know, nod yeah. to a black person that I saw on the street. Um, you know, our version of the Jeep wave, I suppose. And it's like I was just nodding my head like I was a bobblehead for no reason. <laughs> and it wasn't reciprocated. So, like, there was a lack. Wait, they wouldn't, they wouldn't nod back at you? No. That's a fight, bro. And I was like, You got to take them out after that. <laughs> well, just maybe growing up, you know, in and around us. Toronto and then going to Buffalo, maybe it was just yeah. an expectation that didn't, you know, travel down the 401. So that was the first thing that I noticed. But the other thing is, you know, I was there for, you know, four and a half years. And I probably was, was pulled over around 15 to 20 times mm. to the point where by the end of my time in school, I would only drive like through like subdivisions and back roads mm. and not main roads. Sometimes, you know, my, my sticker would have been out of date or I had a taillight that came out. But other times it was just asking me questions. Yeah. But when the questions were answered with, I'm a university student at Western, all of a sudden the energy changed. Yeah. And then if I happen to be wearing a Western football hoodie or hat, the energy really changed yeah. to the point where one police officer said to me, well, why didn't you tell me you were a Western football player? <laughs> As if I was supposed to say, hey, I'm a running back. It's all good. Yeah. And, and then be able to go down my merry way. It, it just was the first real reminder for me that 
I am more than just a person to other people. Yeah. I'm I am a label. And and whatever they have going on in their life, that label changes. So if someone has a good experience at the University of Western Ontario or with football players or, or has a respect for the program, they automatically perceive me as a certain way, regardless of of who I am. A story I, I tell often um, when people ask me about my my current dealings with with races. So I, you guys see me right now. This is an, an audio uh, experience, so you guys can't see me, but I'm dressed relatively casual on my way First to First of work. all, he came with the proper dress code because he's wearing a Toronto Raptors yeah. jacket. Yes. Know, with, 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 the, with the shirt on. It's a denim jacket with the Raptors insignia on it. Right. You know. yes. I'm not sure what, what t-shirt you got on, underneath that. <laughs> I'm assuming it's also Raptors apparel. No, so it's you just came a But yeah, but I've got, got my sports clothes on. I'm relatively casual. But sometimes when I come to work, if I'm going to be wearing a suit, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wear a hoodie and sweatpants mm-hmm. uh, and just be comfortable and then change in the wardrobe room that they have here for Sportsnet. Hosts, if I happen to do some errands and maybe go to the mall before work when I have the hoodie on and I have the, you know, the Nike sweats on, the treatment I get at a store or at a mall, I'm followed a little bit. I'm asked, hey, can I help you, sir? Especially because I have my hoodie up because, you know, the head needs a garage. So mm-hmm. I always have the hoodie up. <laughs> but if I go after work, and I'm suited and booted, and I got a, a, a nice suit on, a nice tie on, the energy is way different. Completely Ugh. different. Right? Yeah. And so, so that's a reminder to me that even though some would think I have, you know, a, a respectable job, and, you know, I'm, I know that I'm someone who's a contributor to society, I pay my taxes, I don't break the law, some people automatically perceive me as something else based on the costume that I'm having that I happen to be wearing and not who I am as a person. Any, any final thoughts? My last thought would be, where do we go from here? The thing that gives me optimism is that you guys are having this conversation, mm-hmm. that it becomes more and more in the consciousness, that I get texts uh, and emails from my white friends who are outraged about the hidden language about black athletes, mm-hmm. about the narratives and the slants uh, uh, about Kaepernick and LeBron James when they do things. And you're right. We do need allies because us talking about this to each other over and over and over again Mm -hmm. is important, but it only goes so far. Donovan, thank you so much. We really appreciate your knowledge. My pleasure. Now it's time to spill the tea. Andre, what's your tea this week? Before I say anything... What I'm going to need you to do, if you're listening to this podcast and you're under the age of 40, I'm going to need you to go and get your parents. So you can go text them the link to this podcast and then text them again to give them the time cue where we start the tea, or you can drop it into the family group chat, whatever you want to do. Go get your people so they can listen to this. If you're over 40, good. I'm glad you joined us. So as I spill this tea, I'm going to need you to resist every urge to turn off the podcast and go back to watching CP24 or whatever, because I know that you've got that... 24-7 fear and outrage playing in the background (laughs) while you cook dinner and tidy up the kitchen, please stop scaring yourself for a second and just listen. Okay, y'all who I'm talking to right now, you are messing up. You are messing up big time. And when I say you're messing up, I am saying it with a love because I know a lot of you just want the best for your family. You want the best for your kids who are in grade school or middle school, wherever they are. I get it. But you are flopping the show for everybody. And I'm going to tell you why. I know a lot of you voted for Doug Ford or voted for the PC party. And I've seen these conversations in Facebook groups. Uh, a lot of your sons and daughters have been tweeting at me or messaging me to ask how they can talk some sense into you. And I know that you say that you voted for the PC Party of Ontario because you believe that, you know, they are going to lower taxes or help Ontario do better in business. 
Dart Ford and the conservatives do not save taxpayers' money. They do not reduce debts. I don't know where you're getting that from. If we took this back to when Rob Ford was mayor and Doug Ford was a city councilor, city user recreational fees increased under the Ford administration, meaning that you possibly, you could argue this, you might have paid less in municipal taxes, but then you turned around and had to spend more money to send your kids to swimming classes or your summer soccer programs. And this whole idea that, you know, Ford saved a billion dollars at City Hall, that's been debunked by just about every single news outlet, except for the obvious one where you can find a bikini model on page three. So, you know, this this whole thing about saving money was not true. You say you hate the idea Uh, for example, of paying a carbon tax. Well, guess what? You did have the option of not paying a carbon tax if you voted for anybody else besides the PC party. We had the option of not paying the carbon tax. We took the only market-based option for reducing carbon emissions off the table, and we have to reduce carbon emissions. The original idea of cap and trade, which was what we had before, that was created by a conservative attorney that worked for the George H.W. Bush administration. Cap and trade was a conservative idea that was pushed by conservative politicians to find a way that manufacturers could not only build profits by retrofitting factories and inventing technologies to reduce emissions, but they can then sell the pollution that they were not producing to developing countries while those countries were incentivized to build their own clean technologies. But because Doug Ford might as well be the kind of dude to spell might as well, like M-I-N-U-S, well, (laughs) he either, he didn't know the difference Or he was interested in selling you on the idea that you shouldn't know the difference between cap and trade and a carbon tax. So forget about the fight with Justin Trudeau for a second. Remember how mad you were about the gas plant scandal costing Ontario almost a billion dollars? Do you know how much the cancellation of the cap and trade program is going to cost Ontario? Three billion dollars. And what do you think is going to happen when these companies who bought the carbon credits decide that they want to sue the government because they're holding basically worthless investments now? It's going to cost them more. Three gas plant scandals in this guy's first month in office, and you don't say anything. And then his government cancels the sex ed curriculum, and I know you all love this one because you cannot stand the idea of a lesbian premier flaunting her lifestyle and making your kids learn all about it. And I know that's because you say this stuff to me and (laughs) act like I'm supposed to keep it cute. You know what's been happening in schools while you're busy burying your head in the sand? And pretending your kids don't need to learn about sexuality and gender identity and all this weird stuff that creeps you out. And kids are committing suicide. And they're succeeding. Ottawa Public Health this past summer came out with a study that said one out of every nine students in Ottawa, one out of every nine seriously considered suicide in 2017. And more than 1,300 kids tried to kill themselves last year. Out of those young people who tried to commit suicide, 60% said that they wanted to turn to somebody for help, but they didn't know who to go to. Over half of LGBT, lesbian, gay, and bisexual students in a study that was conducted uh, previously, this is back around uh, 2006, over half said that they think about suicide. In 2010, 40%, 47% of trans youth, and I know that a lot of you are going to want to pretend like you don't know about any of this trans or gender identity stuff or whatever, but they're your kids too. They just don't talk to you about it. 47% of them had thoughts about suicide in 2010. Half think about suicide. And 19% in the year before the study was done at attempted suicide. So basically, one in five trans kids will try to kill themselves. You think this curriculum is so disgusting and it's such a violation of your rights as a parent. And the thing is, I know you haven't even read the curriculum because every time I talk to one of y'all about it, the first thing you want to bring up to me is this whole anal sex thing. Why are fourth graders learning about anal sex? That it's safe? But they're not learning at fourth grade. I know, but like that's their whole issue. Right, whether it's safe to talk to them about it or not, whether anal sex... But But whether or not anal sex is safe... Mm -hmm is a sex education issue. It totally is. 
If you look in the grade 7 section, though, you'll see a little something called the teacher's prompt. And the teacher's prompt basically means if a student asks you this question, here's a little shorthand for you how to answer. And what it says there is basically if a kid asks you about the best way to avoid getting sexually uh, transmitted infections, here's what you tell them. Abstain from oral sex. Abstain from vaginal sex. Abstain from anal sex. It says abstain. Wait until you're older. Wait until you're mature. And this is what your parents are supposed to be saying to kids too, apparently, right? Well, parents don't teach their kids and right. then they expect all of us to not care about their kids too. Well, but that but they keep it's on absurd. preaching this message of abstinence. Yeah, okay, that's what that's worse. Teachers, and it doesn't. No. But that's what it actually says in the curriculum. It actually says, wait until you're mature enough to make this decision safely. Wait until your partner is at the same level of maturity or above to make the decision to have sex safely. And I'll give you the exact quote, actually. The exact quote is, but having sex has risks too, including physical risks, like sexually transmitted infections, which are common and can hurt you, and getting pregnant when you don't want to. End quote. That's what it says. The first thing that the, the teachers are supposed to say to the they students can't, yeah. is abstinence. And then... But it's education. Right. The, it, sex, educate, it's, there's, it's two words. Mm-hmm. Just because you have decided to fail your children doesn't mean you can endanger everybody else. Everybody else's. Everybody else's. But because they would rather sit around, or I'm sorry, I'm going to talk to you, the people listening to this podcast, because you would rather sit around and listen to AM radio and you want to read tabloid newspapers and you want to let other people do the heavy thinking for you. This is what happens. You know what else happens? Minimum wage gets frozen. Police violence is about to get a remix project. They're bringing Tavis back one way or the other. Yeah. The GM factory in Oshawa closes up shop. That's almost 3,000 people at the factory that are about to get thrown out of work. Plus, all of the people who work in the factories that supply all the parts to the Oshawa factory. Because the previous government was trying to incentivize green energy. And that's the direction automakers were moving in, green energy. And then this government cancels all the green energy project. And you know what that costs us? Tens of thousands of jobs and five billion dollars out of our GDP. Five billion. So I know you all in the audience were, you know, if you were around for the Bob Ray years, you've been around the block on this. You felt like your taxes were going up every year. Some of you were public servants. So you have bitter memories about those unforced paid days or the unpaid days off, the the Ray days. At what point are you going to get that these people are conning you? And not only are they conning you, they're hurting us and everybody else and making this province a workplace. So can we not talk about this? Can we not find a way to work together as a community that doesn't involve you lashing out and getting us stuck with this the most like ridiculous and stupid human beings you could possibly put in government because you don't like the idea of other people spending your money and you don't like the idea about kids learning about sex too early, which actually doesn't even happen. Gen X and the boomer generation, they had twice as many pregnancies as today's kids have. Twice as many. Yeah. We have more population and half the number of pregnancies. Our kids are doing better. They're finding ways to learn outside of their yeah, parents. Yeah, outside of their parents because their parents are getting in the way. You know the kids are more educated than they've ever have been? Yeah. The kids now are doing better than, than their parents in school overall. Did you know that? Or did you just assume everything's getting worse? And you know who taught you to believe everything's getting worse? The same people that want you to pretend there's nothing wrong when a police officer stops your kid on the way from mosque or basketball practice to ask him where he's going and who he is or the one that wants to tell your daughter that she can't wear her natural hair to work in a retail store because it's not professional, those are the same people that are trying to tell you that there's something wrong with our youth and our youth are actually doing better than you were. So I'm just going to wrap this up. I'm going to ask you a question. What if you were wrong? Would you, would you admit it? Like, would you try to do something about it if you were wrong? Would you write a letter to your MPP saying, hey, we don't agree with this. We're going to stop it. Would you pass the hat around at church and support people in the community? that don't go to the same church that you do, that don't pray like you do? Or are you going to be stubborn and just do the same thing the next time around and hope something different happens? Because if it's option B, 
That means you are taking the same side as the people who are enemies to your children, the same people that want to see your children dead or in jail. And all I'm going to say is you should probably think long and hard about that. That's it. That's my tea. Mel, what's your tea for this week? So my tea is um, basically like the big broader idea is that nobody listens to black women, Mm -hmm. which is true. And I understand that we're living in an age where people get on Twitter and tweet about listening to black women and then ignore black women the next day. (laughs) Or editors are retweeting things, especially here in Canada. This is so important. From February 1st to 28th, they're trying to get us to write something and then everything else is too black media. We know that nobody listens to us and we don't actually have to tweet about it. Some of us don't even have to talk about it. Like we actually live in this reality. Um, And I just feel like there's a disconnect between what people feel like we're doing when nobody's listening to us. Like they have to tell us that nobody's listening. Like we already know. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, I'm kind of situating this in the the term misogynoir. I don't know if like everybody knows what that means, but it's basically um, misogyny directed towards black women. um, And it's based on the intersectionality between gender and race. Mm -hmm. And it was coined by uh, Moya Bailey. If you Google misogynoir, it is like, you just see like, you know, just how things are. Um, and I just feel like it's not any situation we're existing where we don't feel this, as I said. So a couple weeks ago, um, I was on Instagram. I spend about half my life on that application. And I was on Six Buzz TV. Do you know Six Buzz TV? I don't. It's one of the um, biggest pages that we have in the city. It's supposed to represent Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, they have those like, it's like jokes. And like, I mean, our producer, Ryan likes Six Buzz TV because he's like really young. But old people like me like it too. So it's like fun. It's kind of like music, pop culture. It's Mm -hmm. like a Toronto thing, whatever. Um, But it also kind of represents the worst of us. So anytime there's an opportunity to be misogynist or homophobic, like every dude in the GTA who's under 5'7 needs to leave a comment. (laughs) And it's just like, look, I come from a, a family of short people. I'm just like too tall. Yeah, I've always been too tall to deal with these things. <laughs> so there was a post about, um, they just made a joke about, you know, there should be an International Men's Day, right? But there is an International Men's Day. Every day? In addition to the <laughs> fact that, you know, there's every day is Men's Day. Yeah. There, it just passed. It was like last week, wasn't it? Was it actually the day? Yeah, there was an actual International I thought Men's that was, Day. Oh, I, well, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was that, I thought it was that stupid that it was a joke. No, they they try to make it a joke like why isn't there white entertainment intelligence or why isn't there white history month? Yeah, but, but there it was is a, it an was International a joke. Men's Day. It is. But the funny thing is people who make that joke, well, why, why is there a Women's Day, not a Men's Day? But there is one. So where are you? Oh, well, there shouldn't be one. So I, I guess that's what this post yeah. was about. <laughs> so I was like, this is this dumbest, I can't, this is so whatever. Yeah. And then people were just like, you know, commenting back. Um, the usual like, Ashy, who hurt you? Whatever. So mm-hmm. I was just like, had time that morning. So I was like, your daddy hurt me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, you know my dad? And I'm like, well, I will if you don't stop with me so people were just like you look like you're from another planet i'm like yeah i am can you actually imagine having to like engage this like yeah i'm just like why is it that when a woman says something that is even like peripherally empowering Mm -hmm. it is so threatening to men especially black women Mm -hmm. and it's just like i constantly am reminded of like just this contempt Mm. it's ridiculous like you'll see it in like the shade room too like they posted something today about how um, you know, gender-based violence and the most unsafe place for women is the home. And men had something to say. It's like, you're proving the point. So I just feel like whenever we have anything to say that has anything to do with us being empowered, people act as if like we're, if, if we're asking a question. We already know you hate us, right? Mm. So it kind of brings me to um, 
Do you watch Love and Hip Hop? Yeah, Love and Hip Hop New York, the, yeah. the season that Cardi B was on, the la- that was the last season she, I watched. Oh, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um. So this year, Joe Budden came back because he was on the show before okay. and now he's um he's back. Yeah. And, you know, he's revamped his career. A lot, a lot of things have happened. A writer on Twitter named Benny Vieira, who's amazing, tweeted, are we ever going to address that Joe Budden beat Esther Baxter so bad that she had a miscarriage? Or that two of his other exes also said he beat them up. But, you know, the podcast. He has his new um, Revolt television show. He has a podcast that's really popular. And we're just supposed to ignore that this happened to a woman, a black woman, who was actually, like, she wasn't even really able to talk about it because of intimidation, because the hip-hop community is just never going to be there for us, period. This man put it in his music. So in response to her tweet, a woman, because women and men were coming at her, but the charges were dropped. We can't even have a conversation about how these men just get to keep like reinvigorating their career, reinventing themselves. We can't even say one thing. And the first thing you're talking about is charges. In one of her responses, she said, when we're talking about that, they sound like the racists that they cry about. Don't even waste your time. Any other time the system is broken, right? But when it's abuse of women, they use the same system to argue a man's innocence. They hate women and it's obvious. So it's just like, yeah, you hate us. Like, this is not a question. The energy that people invest to defend men that they don't know, because somebody on Twitter told me that was I there. It, it's just like the the statistics, the reality, the severe misogyny that we're living in. And you are still talking about, was I there? Like, you have a family. You're a woman. You probably know women in your life that this has happened to, but you would rather defend. Like, I just, I don't understand where people think this is going to get them. It doesn't make men pick them. Men don't care. This is the way it works. If you even came close to applying that same energy to women, to black women, it would just, it would look so different. We don't have to do this. You don't have to do work for a man that is thriving. Why don't you do work for us? That's that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for listening. Shout out to Frequency Network for having us. Thank you to our show producer, Ryan Clark. And our music producer, Black Orchid. You can catch me on Twitter at Andre Demise. You can catch me at Melina Williams. And Donovan Bettit's Twitter is at D-O-N-N-O-V-A-N. B-E-N-N-E-T-T, Donovan Bennett. You can listen to us on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Or on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating, and if you're feeling really generous, like really, really generous, and you like us, leave us a written review, please. See you next week. Bye.